at the elementary level, it's about what it was before. Yes, we've, we've built in some additional time using, um, as of right now, at this moment, we've built in some additional time using the kindergarten aids just to allow for time between kindergarten and first grade. Those are the only two grade levels right now that are back to back for transitional purposes. Thank you. Um, so, um, you know, when we were talking about the schedule in the summer before we actually got to this point, one of the questions or concerns I had was, um, how on earth could students use bathrooms, you know, in a way that did not have them all just packing in there like they used to do before COVID? Um, you know, in my imagination, half the entire time of the class was going to be spent with kids waiting to go to the bathroom instead of being in the classroom. And I realized that was probably a hyperbole, hyperbole and not a reality. But, you know, when I looked at the um, images of the middle school and, you know, I, 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 I was immediately like, I hope we're passing out anti-anxiety medications because kids have to go up multiple floors and come back and around and loop to get to their class. And, you know, I know one of, one of my children already has anxiety if she's a couple seconds late to class. And she had to then navigate the whole building to get to her classroom, which is two doors down, which is what we're going to be requiring of the sixth graders. Um, that um, I, I'm, I'm just concerned about our, our teachers really um, getting the message the tardiness is not to be treated like it has been treated in the past. Uh, so I, I'll jump in. I think that the teachers definitely understand and will be flexible um, that, you know, there there's definitely going to be um, situations where students are going to need additional time to be able to loop through and to navigate the one-way hallways. Um, so I would, I would definitely say that our teachers um, supported by our principals and assistant principals will be able to implement policies and procedures um, that watch for abuse, um, but understand the necessary supports and the fact that we're in a global pandemic. Thank you. And um, my follow-up question to that is, um, you know, I, I actually don't feel like the teachers would be a problem um, unless there's pressure for them to catch up all the academic time that was lost in the spring. Um, and um, I will say that in remote, there are definitely some teachers who have seemed to have gotten the message that we need to get these kids caught up. So if you're getting the message that you need to get your kids caught up so that you can take an MCAS and prove that your kids are where they should have been, um, you can't expect the teachers to not care and be very inflexible about the amount of time their students are sitting in front of their teacher or in front of their Zoom classroom. Um, and so I feel like it's a mixed message and we need to, as a district from the superintendent level down, really be clear. Because if we are expecting kids to be caught up, then none of this conversation about flexibility is reasonable or appropriate and not, it's not real, it's a mixed message. So member, member Rousseau, I just wanted to say that um, right now with this, COVID situation that we're all dealing with. The expectation is really, um, our focus is to focus on the social emotional learning and at the same time, keep academics balanced. We are not trying to, um, the time that was lost last year, we know that we're not gonna be able to make up um, the exact amount of time that was lost. 
Um, so we're not trying to put undue stress or burden on students, but at the same time, balancing it with giving them appropriate instructional um, activities that they should be doing, looking at the key power standards um, that students should still be exposed to at their given grade level. So we are definitely aware, um, we, you know, the curriculum that's being covered at the elementary levels, the, you know, the first six weeks, there's, there's been time to kind of give students an opportunity to get reacclimated to being in school and having a consistent learning um, environment. And as we are introducing re the staggered hybrid, as students transition from online to in-person instruction, two days a week, they will have that opportunity to, you know, again, socialize and be with other classmates. Um, but I, I want to be clear that we're not trying to um, stress students out to the max while everyone is dealing with the stressors that COVID has caused everyone. So we want to have a balanced approach to learning and we want to think about the whole child, um, not just academics, but how they are social emotionally and thinking about ways to find ways to do project-based learning or thematic learning um, thinking about the whole child. So I, I, you know, if that's a message that you think you're, um, hearing, I want to say that we're, we, we truly are focusing on the whole child and not just the academics in isolation. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And then uh, I would just, you know, just something to follow up on. I know you've received emails and many of the members have as well about, um, at the high school level, students that are sitting through six hours of Zoom and then having six, seven, eight, nine hours of homework. Um, nobody, not, we've done this in school committee and it's frankly abusive to us. Um, and to expect kids to be doing 12, 13, 14 hours of screen time on task. I'm not talking about kids who are hiding with their computer playing a video game. Kids that are truly doing this work. Um, I think, you know, I, I think about these AP and these honors classes, and I understand AP classes have a test. Test is coming whether or not we like it or not. And the teachers appropriately want their kids to pass the AP exams. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just think we should really be considering whether or not it's a reasonable, uh, you know, are we going to create a whole group of kids that, I mean, the consequences of excessive, um, you know, uh, this just makes reminds me of the, the the studies around girls and why they perform so well in high school, but then they get worn out because the only acceptable level of performance is 100%. And it just, just destroys them before they get through college. Um, and I'm worried, are we creating this for all of our kids um, with these, these kinds of hours? I mean, I, I think, you know, as a committee, do we want to pick up an issue of no kid should have more than three hours of homework. They sat for six hours in front of a screen. It, how much is enough? So I, the only piece I would say, and my counter argument will be for those students and for the members of the community who's, who are parents who have their children in AP or honors courses, we have to report to the college board. And when I think about, um, you know, on a larger level where there are people who have considerable means and they will pay large sums of money to have people take tests for their kids to get into 
elite colleges, we want to be able to have a standard that if someone, a student in Medford is taking an AP or an honors course, that they are meeting the standard of AP and honors coursework. Um, I don't want to water down that standard because it's not going to be fair to students that are taking a, 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 you know, a regular, you know, Psych 101 or just regular U.S. history as opposed to AP history, um, you have to have a different standard to be able to say, yes, I took an AP course, but I did the level of work that's required for AP or honors coursework. When the students do graduate and they're part of the honor society and they get their cords, they want to know that when I'm wearing my cords on my graduation that I actually did the work at the standard that's expected by the college board. I know that I'm not talking about the entire district, but I do not want to lo lower or water down the academic standard for students that truly are capable of academically functioning at that level where if an AP course requires them to have an hour and a half of homework, then they, they understand by taking an AP course that, you know, that this is, the, the rigorous level that is expected, but students should not be having, you know, nine or 10 hours of homework in a given evening, because again, that is truly um, problematic. So I can definitely have Dr. Dr. Cushing follow up um, to look at what the level of homework looks like at the secondary level. But for students that are taking, a small group of students that are taking AP coursework, we should not lower um, the standard um, for that AP or, or honors coursework because we're reporting to the college board and we want to make sure that there's integrity with what the college board expects at that level from our students. So that would be the only area that I would um, say we have to be able to show that we are meeting the standard of the college board for that level of coursework. All right, thank you. I just feel like we're making a choice over meeting a standard for the college board over the mental health of significant numbers of students who will end up not in the institution, not hospitalized, they'll end up in emergency room because there's no space in any of these hospitals. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Member McLaughlin. Thank you. Thank you for this um, deck and for this report. I have a couple questions. Um, I'm assuming the deck is available to the public posted online. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, and then for um, the director of pupil services, um, Joan Bowen, um, the 200 um, most vulnerable students that were returned to the school at the beginning of the year. I understand that um, Marianne was talking earlier about the two weeks of uh, red zone before remote. And I know that that's nuanced as well, but I also just, uh, I'm under the impression that Desi has given guidance um, regarding the red zone as it relates to our most vulnerable students. Is that is that accurate? Ms. That's Bowen? correct, yes. Can you share that with us? So I, I believe that the Desi guidance is they want our, our most vulnerable students in person, but if we are to go into the red zone, I do think we transition to remote. I will clarify that, but I, I understand that's the, the latest guidance. 
Oh, okay. I was under the impression that there was some nuance there around that for our most vulnerable students, because so many of them um, are not capable or not, I shouldn't say are not capable, are not, uh, have a lot of difficulty actually learning remotely. Um, so I thought the guidance was more nuanced than that, but if you can let us know, that'd be really helpful. Um, and then for those, cause we need, really need to think about a plan for those students. Um, if, if we're going remote um, and we have students that we know don't learn remotely, what are our alternatives? So I know other districts are providing in home service, whether it's, you know, similar to an early intervention or nursing care, that kind of thing. Um, is there in home service options? What are we doing for, for this population and what is the plan? Um, and what is DESE guidance would be really helpful if we could follow up on that maybe for the next meeting. Sure. Thank you. And then um, for uh, Mr. Murphy regarding the reverse remote, um, are we gonna, is the, is the community getting, and I know that, you know, the deadline's a little softer now for families, although I was, I find it curious regarding the elementary. I do understand the implications of why it's um, a little bit more structured regarding elementary because of the, the um, staffing and the concern there. But I guess the question is how are families going to know um, in order to make the decision, how are they knowing whether they're actually in a reverse remote setting or their, their student? Sorry. Go ahead. Their principal will communicate that to them uh, prior to their return in person. So there may have been some first grade or second grade students that are coming in. And I think this is limited only to a very specific type of class, but it'll be communicated this week at the elementary level for any, for any um, staff for whom it's already true, which I think that should, that variable shouldn't matter for at the elementary level. That would be true for secondary, but for elementary, the communication will take place this week. Okay, that's via email or phone call or you don't know? The email from, a, a letter from the principal that I would expect to be emailed. Thank you, that will be helpful. And then um, I know that we had voted on the last meeting that anyone that's currently receiving that is getting notification that they have their reverse remote. Is that accurate? Do I'm end sorry. So anyone that is actually, so for that we've only had the most vulnerable cohort in now. Right. But anybody from those cohorts that are, that are in that situation are also getting notification. Yes. yes, yes. If if they're if they're receiving a remote or reverse remote, they should all receive the same letter or it's a template, but a similar yes. letter. Okay, thank you. And then um, we haven't discussed at all um, in this presentation our high school students, um, and um, I'm specifically speaking to the high school seniors right now. Um, I know that there was uh, initially in the first hybrid staggered, they were coming back on the 19th. Um, and I, we, I know that we spoke uh, about some communication with our seniors, but also with our high schoolers as a whole. Um, I know that lots of our community members are wondering about that. So how are we addressing um, that constituency? I, I think that um, we're going to plan a, a senior specific communication just to check in with that class and something that we'll be working on in the coming days. Okay, thank you. And then uh, specific to member Rousseau's discussion around the social emotional, well, backing up to a superintendent Edward Vincent's thinking about the whole child and the social emotional needs of the whole child. Um, again, that's, you know, I'm thinking of our high schoolers, but also with our AP, you know, um, our students, I am the parent of a, 
recent graduate AP student, um, and I know the work that has gone into those courses and those boards. Um, and I wonder how many of those, how many of our students are actually taking the boards and are passing or getting the AP credit or what have you, because I think a lot of times parents put it, or students even put a lot of, you know, emphasis on that. And the AP courses are great and they're very involved and detailed. But when we're in a situation where we're under a global pandemic and and and, and children's mental health is suffering as our teachers are, I, I want to say, by the way, the um, the high school curriculum night last week was exceptional. It was so good to see everybody there and to hear the teachers and to listen to them. And even for me, it was a six period session. And by the end of the, you know, fifth period, I was ready to zone out of Zoom so I could really feel how they were feeling and the teachers. And the teachers were talking a lot about sort of, you know, what their expectations and what they've been dealing with. But what are the college board's positions in terms of, you know, these AP course credits under a, 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 a pandemic? Is it the exact same requirement as pre-pandemic? Because if that's the case, then, I mean, they're obviously not considering. And I guess how many students are actually taking these? And is it, is it you know, are the boards, because some students take AP courses and don't take the boards because they don't necessarily want the credit or don't want to take the testing. Um, or even in some instances, it's nice to have the credit, but then, you know, I know I have a couple of friends that are college admissions officers who say, you know, it can be tricky too, because kids can take a couple of AP courses and find that they finished all their credits before their friends did. And now they're not in this semester enrolled, you know, with their peers. So it's a little, it's a little tricky. So it's more nuanced. And I guess I'm, I'm wondering how are we, or how is the college board addressing the nuance here? Or do we even know, are they? Um, so I, I would invite Stacey Shulman, if the mayor is, uh, is um, willing, um, if she wants to jump in, but I can also say, um, you know, and maybe at a later date, we can say something, but I can also say that, um, you know, the college board, the, the way the AP exam works is generally speaking, not generally speaking, you have to receive what's known as a qualifying score. And so that's a three or four or five on the end of your exam. And simply because a school like Medford High School or Melrose High School or St. John's Prep or wherever assigns AP credit on a student's transcript, unless you have that corresponding qualifying score, you don't get the college credit. And so it's really good for admissions counselors to see advanced placement because of what it shows is it shows that you're, you're stepping up and you're really accepting this challenge. And so what an advanced placement course is, is over the course of a year at high school, it replicates a semester college course. So in the, not in, the vast majority of our students who are planning to go to college should accept the challenge of taking at least one advanced placement course. Now, during this pandemic, I have not heard, and I'll defer to um, Stacy on this, I have not heard that the college board is changing their requirements on this. I know for a fact that the, um, in talking to Dr. Brandle, um, or hearing from Dr. Brandle, I should say, that there was uh, in other AP teachers, that there was the, still the need to submit their syllabi. Teachers were very concerned about making sure that they were following their syllabi because it is mandated by the college board. Um, and <clears throat> I only provide this information because I have really intimate knowledge surrounding advanced placement and helping to build a program. Um, and so those qualifying scores are what then will help a student, and I, I understand what you're saying, I think, Member McLaughlin, about like then a, a student may finish credits ahead of their peers, 
Well, that can translate into literally tens of thousands of dollars um, of not paying college tuition. So taking these courses, getting a qualifying score can lead to um, reduced financial loans, aid, all those types of things that can provide substantial benefit to a student as they enter life following college. Um, so I know that that's a really global perspective on advanced placement and kind of where where we are um, it's right helpful, now. But I think it's under a pandemic, Dr. Christian, it's a whole other ball game. And that's what I'm saying is, is there any way that anyone is considering these children in a pandemic scenario? And, and so I, I, the college board is this is as it was once described to me by the Massachusetts Math and Science Initiative, the college board and another program called International Baccalaureate, which Medford does not use, but they are the gold standard. And across the country, across the country, when a student takes an advanced placement course, that syllabus has been approved much like every other single high school core AP course, and then that test is that test. Um, every single kid takes the same test. And so then it is measured against the standards and then students are awarded a three or four or a five, a one, two, a one through five, but the qualifying score where you really get like that, that benefit, not you get the tremendous benefit from taking the course, but then the added benefit of potentially like not having to pay for college courses that, I mean, can be exceptionally expensive now. Um, I think last time I checked when I was last in school a few years ago, it was almost $1,300 per credit at Boston College. So when you can think about that type of a, a financial burden that could be lifted off of students, um, I understand where you're coming from, Member McLaughlin, and where people's concerns are about the fact that it's a pandemic and the fact that this, this is this situation. And the other thing is, is that advanced placement courses are a choice for students, um, but I, I applaud all of them for making that choice. Um, and I applaud them all for stepping up to this challenge, especially in this time, because they are extraordinarily rigorous and extraordinarily challenging courses, and they definitely should be applauded for that. Um, but I do not know of the college board lifting any of the um, rigorous standards that have set forth. But um, I know that Stacey Schulman is on the call, and I defer to her um, if she wants to add any further context. Yes, please, Ms. Shulman, are you able to, okay. Hi, good evening. Um, just to echo what Dr. Cushing said, the um, advanced placement courses, the AP courses are determined by the college board. So our teachers as always are on it. We, they submitted their syllabi earlier um, before school began and their courses were approved um, by the college board. There is unfortunately no flexibility around the rigor as they're adhering to the advanced placement exams. That is sort of the end goal in order to allow them um, to potentially receive college credit for these classes. Now, it is not um, a requirement to take the exam. So some students choose to take the course and have that course um, shown on their transcripts in order to um, have an, an additional sort of check mark for colleges to say, you know, I was able to take this AP course and I received X amount of grade in it. You can see that I can, you know, follow along with, um, with the rigor of a, of a course um, of this nature. 
Uh, we have about 120 to 140, forgive me, I don't have the number off the top of my head, students enrolled in AP courses right now. Um, they will be um, required to sign up for the exam before the um, beginning of November. We'll submit for that. And then as far as right now, I checked in with the College Board last week, and their plan is to... Um, have the paper exam in class um, as every other year. They noted that they'll be willing to have some flexibility as they did this year with remote exams due to the pandemic. But um, for right now, there is there is seemingly no flexibility and we are um, you know, required to follow what their guidance is, which I understand is very frustrating. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Shulman. Member Rousseau. Thank you. Ms. Shulman, I have a question for you um, in your role. Um, how are we monitoring the mental health of our students? I am incredibly concerned. I mean, I already know of one student that is no longer available to us for psychiatric reasons. And I am, uh, you know, our, our pediatric psychiatric capacity in the healthcare system is pathetic as an understatement. Wait times before the COVID were terrible. I'm sure the wait times are unbearably long now. So I, I guess I'm just, I, I just think it's an important conversation to have with the public, with parents that still think they're gonna get their kid through the pandemic like nothing happened. Parents need to come have a, you know, come to Jesus, Jesus moment and just admit that that's not one of our options. I think a lot of parents truly believe they're gonna get through this like nothing happened. Um, kid's gonna go off to college and it's gonna be like no bumps in the road. And I think that there are a lot of parents who are still behaving that way and thinking that, and somebody needs to tell them that's not one of their choices. Um, none of these kids are getting through this without some bumps and bruises. And so I think figuring out how to make sure people are making choices so that they don't make their kids and that we aren't making choices as a committee and as a district that put kids at incredible risk. I mean, the stress that these kids are under, all of them, from kindergarten all the way up, is incredible. And the notion that they're going to do the same work and that teachers who have never taught in this format are going to somehow manage to teach all the same content so they can perform the same as they did in a previous year, it, it, to me, it's an absurd notion. And we're just rolling along like it's gonna happen anyways. And I, I just think that, you know, um, not talking about the fact that to hell with the college board and, you know, to hell with saving a few thousand dollars on a college credit, because how many kids are gonna end up, you know, worst case scenario, you know, not with us anymore um, or dropping out because of the stress or all the other psychiatric possibilities that um, are, are seem like are very likely. Um, it, it, we're not talking about that. How, how do you measure the mental health of our students? Sure. So, right if, I may, if I may, I think you're presenting Ms. Shulman and on the 26th of October for the committee. And I know a lot of parents do have interest in um, social emotional well-being of our students. It's not on the agenda. So I don't know if I want to make sure we're not violating open meeting law um, because that's a topic that many are concerned about. So I want to just stay on track with um, elementary, secondary, and special ed programming and challenges amid reopening K through 12. 
And we look forward to your presentation on the 26th, um, Ms. Shulman. Very much so. Thank you. So if there's no further questions on the challenges of mid reopening K through 12, um, I know we have Mr. Chad Fallon um, next up doing an update on career vocational technical education, CVTE remote learning. Hi, good evening. My sound coming through okay. Fantastic. Okay, good evening. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you, Madam Superintendent and members of the school committee. Good evening. So I just want to start by thanking the administrative team that I'm lucky enough to be part of. We have um, a group of administrators that have been working very hard over the past months, and I just wanted to give a shout out to them, and that includes everybody at the high school that I have the pleasure to work with because it has been challenging and I just wanna make sure that they get some credit because we have a pretty awesome team. Um, and also I just wanna uh, make a statement about career and technical education in a remote environment. We fully understand that, that career and tech ed doesn't align well with remote uh, instruction and we're constantly making adjustments. Um, we are making connections, we're keeping our students engaged. Our team has maintained connections with students in a way that's very similar to when we're in person. Um, we are a family unit of sorts, and we continue to engage our students in a way that has them showing up every day. The relationship between the CTE teachers and the students, due to the long block of instruction that we have, does allow time for theory-based discussions and collaborative inquiry. And our teachers are doing the best they can in a very difficult situation. So I just wanted to give um, a shout out to our teachers because I am very lucky to work with such a great um, group of people. Uh, an update to provide you. So what you'll see in this presentation, which is about 10 minutes long, and I'll go through it um, as quickly as I can. I am working on securing some partnerships for offsite learning. In the event that we can't get certain systems up and running within the next few weeks, we are looking at alternative sites. Um, I'm not ready to mention that yet because I am working with one company that I met with today, but essentially we're looking within the Medford area, uh, maybe as far as Malden, to secure some space that perhaps I can rent for some offsite learning. Um, we're also working with Habitat for Humanity. Uh, as of today, that was the latest development that there might be a project in Andover that my electricians could be part of. Um, we're working with the DPW in Medford to see if there's any opportunities that would be appropriate for our construction and craft laborers program. Uh, the problem is local unions and uh, businesses are not keen on having students observe the job site due to COVID-19. So unfortunately, we are not having much luck with that. Um, I do wanna provide some general updates. So there definitely is, you know, when, when we think about our kids not being in school, I do wanna speak to a few of the benefits um, in, in our case, because we have been able to get through a lot of renovations in my building alone. Um, and I just wanted to update you all with that. So where the students have not been in the space, it has allowed me the time to have crews in there working and we have been working pretty much every day. In cosmetology, the construction continues in the new salon. I have electricians in there this week getting ready for the um, uh, next phase of, of lighting. Uh, metal fabrication, I, was, I just had it completely painted with a partnership with the um, local painters union. They've helped us before with the bistro. 
and they were in to paint uh, for the last two weeks. They'll be coming back next week to work in the automotive tech shop. In programming and web design, we completely renovated the space. We put down new carpet, brand new workstations and painted. We have a new construction technology lab, which is gonna be utilized by carpentry and construction craft laborers. That was the former programming and web space. And like I mentioned, auto technology will be painted next week. Business marketing, we also installed new workstations for that program. Continued partnerships include our uh, relationship with the Furniture Trust, which is a nonprofit agency where we're, we're able to get workstations and furniture for our school uh, at virtually no cost, and we pay for shipping and delivery only. Uh, brief update on enrollment. So we have 107 grade 12 students, 135 grade 11, 158 grade 10 students, and we have 196 students that are currently in our CTE exploratory program. So as you can see from even the day that I started three years ago, the number is rising. We have about 596 students right now that are pursuing a CTE pathway. Um, it's important to mention that of our 15 programs, eight of our programs are currently on wait list. And that includes automotive technology, business marketing, carpentry, construction and craft laborers, cosmetology, electrical, health assisting, and metal fabrication. Um, these programs are on a wait list. Students are aware of that. And if a space becomes available, they are um, granted access uh, based on the wait list. So just to give you an idea, an overview of our remote schedule, the grade nine CTE Exploratory is entering its fourth rotation. They'll go through every program uh, while we're on a remote schedule. And once we return to an in-person model, will allow time for students to rotate through some hands-on time as well. Our related theory classes are offered for grades 11 and 12 on the alternating week programs. That's the week on, week off. And we have 11 programs that fall under that. And then for our grade 11 and 12 fixed programs, when we say fixed, we used to call it hybrid, but that's gotten a little bit too confusing with today's language. So you have our, we have four programs that are offered every day periods four, five, and six. And those students are offered the related theory period four. Grade 10 for all programs, the related in theory is embedded in their instruction and they meet on periods five and six each day. The structure of our remote CTE programs is that our instructors begin every day with a synchronous lesson to frame the day. The instructors are available for students throughout the day as they need assistance um, and throughout the course of the task at hand. We designed our schedule so that it's, it allows for both synchronous and asynchronous learning. And I just want to mention that uh, working with the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, in specific, their college and career technical um, um, office, there is going to be uh, you know, significant leniency in the hours that students are required to obtain over their four years. So right now it's a standard requirement of 900 total hours and that's gonna be reduced significantly due to COVID. Um, but it, it's worth mentioning that the Board of Cosmetology, so we have two licensing programs within our school. The Board of Cosmetology has approved remote learning hours and the Electrical Board has also approved remote learning hours. So those students are still able to acquire their hours towards certification. As we start thinking about um, an in-person return, we do have some challenges. And I've shared these with the um, senior leadership team, and it's nothing that they're not aware of either. 
um, we have some barriers that we need to, to, to work with. You know, building safety is our, our utmost concern and the HVAC systems are being addressed as we speak. Um, unfortunately, our programs cannot be relocated. We don't have the ability to really work much outside of the space that we have designated for the programs. Um, obviously, there's COVID concerns uh, in terms of staff and, and um, if they were to get sick, you know, our teachers are providing specialized instruction. So it's um, really important for us to all stay healthy and, and be, be to work every day, because if we can't, we, we definitely face a barrier. Um, we also need to prepare our classrooms and shop space. And that's really the way to do that. And, and as I've mentioned to the senior leadership team, and they're very much in support of, is identifying some time for our instructors to come back in when it's, um, uh, you know, when the time comes to prepare the space adequately. Uh, we're going to need to purchase additional materials and probably additional PPE above and beyond um, the regular day-to-day uh, -day supplies that would be ordered because of the nature of the work we do. We're looking at potential options for in-person instruction that could be tents that I, I have on site. I have five programs that have garage doors or garage bays. So we're looking at purchasing tents. Um, then we're looking at propane heaters and um, but of course we have to think about inclement weather conditions and if that will really work in terms of students and bathrooms and so on and so forth but we're looking at it um, off-site opportunities um, i mentioned in the presentation at the beginning i'm not really ready to mention exactly where i've been but today i did meet with a local catering company and function um, venue to potentially rent some space from them so that at least we can be providing some live demonstrations to students um, what we're thinking is if we're going to be out of the building for any time more than a few more weeks, we need to secure some space so that we can have some classes offered so that we can have some in-person instruction. Obviously, what we're seeing is that there are some limitations on, avail on availability due to capacity. Uh, consideration. So we're thinking that three to four, possibly four of our programs really have the ability to remain remote if needed. Um, and I'm going to speak a little bit to that. So our business marketing program, we've just, uh, we're waiting for just two more laptops to come in, but we've purchased 15 laptops that can be given to the students on a loaner basis so they can be working at home. Graphic design, I'm working with the instructors right now who are specking out MacBooks for these students so that they can actually be using the Apple platform at home. Media technology and programming and web design. So these are four programs that I've identified that if we need to stay remote for uh, a longer period of time. These programs lend themselves a little bit better to that. And then we'll be looking at the student cohorts to address capacity um, if need be, and we can, we can work with that if, if, if we need to look at the groups. So I think it's important to um, really end this presentation by giving a shout out to the different programs. And what I wanna mention is that the teachers were really excited when I said, can you send me a few things that have been working really well? Um, I think it's important to share the excitement from our instructional team um, and to really highlight the creative and innovative ways that our teachers are meeting the needs of our students. So, look at this. So, in metal fabrication and welding, when I found out that the painters were going to be able to come in and do some work for us because the space was empty, we had the first and third year apprentices come in and they basically transformed the space. So, with this, the teacher took the opportunity to have the students work in blueprint drawing and blueprint reading to come up with the specs for the new shop. This is one example here. Media technology is working on a remote Mustang Minute. 
construction and craft laborers has been in collaboration with carpentry and electrical and they've been um, together providing OSHA presentations to the students with each teacher teaching different units. So what you're going to hear a lot, uh, a lot of things that I say tonight is about collaboration. Um, the carpentry report students have been showing up. We also have a, um, a compliance mentoring group and this is with, uh, we've been doing this for a year now where we have a, um, a nonprofit company that actually works with our students to take them out to live job sites. And we have five or six students that are involved in that this year. Cosmetology, they've been in collaboration with Health, Health Assisting. They do this every year and uh, no stopping them this year either. It's an annual event for breast cancer awareness. The Health Assisting students present the risks, symptoms and treatments of breast cancer and the cosmetology students present the cosmetic changes and hair loss that occurs during treatment, how to care for a wig, apply makeup and make the client feel really good about themselves. Robotics and engineering is doing something cool. They've, they've started using two types of software, one for coding and one for CAD, computer-aided drafting. That gives us the ability to see the, to, to really work with the students in real time. So as students write code or design CAD on their computers, we can see the work in real time on our end, and it's just as if we're standing behind them, and it's really a nice feature. The teachers were excited to share that. Programming and Web has been working with business marketing, um, and they are collaborating on creating an e-commerce site for our school store. Um, I mentioned metal fabrication with the blueprint reading. And health assisting. So health assisting has come up with this um, themed days, beginning with Mental Health Monday, TED Talk Tuesdays, Wellness Wednesdays, Tasteful Thursday, and Fitness Friday. Um, what's been really nice to see in our programs is that our teachers have instilled routine very quickly, even in a remote environment. Um, and by doing this, again, like I said at the beginning of this uh, presentation, our teachers are still teaching the way they normally do, just in a remote environment, and students um, are definitely responding accordingly. Health Assisting is also having their students go through a COVID readiness training certification program, which is required in order to work in a nursing home when the time comes. Um, the American Red Cross has put the CNA certification on hold. So at home, the students are practicing their skills on their family, or in some cases, a stuffed animal, which this is like my favorite slide of the night. Um, this is an example of some students and what they sent home, uh, sent into their teachers about how they're practicing bed changing or uh, working with patients in a hospital setting. This is just a look at cosmetology. So we were able to send mannequins and kits home with all the students. These are examples of pictures that students have taken from their home and sent into the teacher. So certainly no shortage of talent here. Graphic design. Uh, has worked with students to create a bumper sticker project. And I just wanted to show you um, what something like this looks like so that everyone can kind of get a snapshot of what, um, what things look like on the vocational side and that, and that what teachers are doing to, to keep kids engaged. And I had a video, but it's probably not gonna work tonight, but at least we have an image here. In electrical, the teachers ask students to create their own safety video. So what this kid, um, this student here, Zach Santos, what he did is he created a video with just himself. He edited it himself and it, it's really, it, it's, it's quite funny and it's his way of uh, demonstrating workplace safety. That's just one example of what electrical is doing. Um, I said it at the beginning and I'll say it again, thank you. And I really wanted to publicly do this to um, 
Uh, on behalf of Alice Beth Fitzpatrick, who's the assistant principal director in my school, we really just want to thank the team of instructors. They are making the impossible possible. Um, I'm very proud to be a leader of Medford Vocational Technical High School. And we are just as anxious to get back in as all of you are to have us back in. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Fallon. I just want to thank Mr. Fallon for such a thorough presentation and updating us on all of the programs that are happening. So thank you for that as well. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, Member Vandekloot. I, I just want to thank Mr. Fallon as well. Um, Chad, we're not asking you any questions because you covered things so thoroughly. <laughs> um, so thank you very much. That was great. Thank Mayor, you. I have that. some questions. Member Kretz, then Member McLaughlin. Thank you. I just want to thank you, Mr. Fallon. Um, that was a great presentation. I really enjoyed the pictures and just hearing about everything that's going on in the classrooms. It was really informative. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kathy. Member McLaughlin. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Fallon. Great presentation. Um, I wanted to ask if you would send the video um, from the electrical student to the school committee, please, because we would like to see it. And I'm sure they put a lot of work into it. It'd be nice to see. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. I also um, appreciate the thinking outside of the box with the garage bays and the tents and the propane and outside vendors and rentals and just sort of all of that. I think that's really important. And I know that I had uh, there were some community members that have reached out to you directly about opportunities in the community and wanted to be able to participate. We have a lot of advocates in the community for the vocational school, a lot of graduates who are very proud uh, graduates, but also uh, people who are working in the in the trades and appreciate um, all that the VOC has to offer. It's a great program. So I am hoping that we will continue to foster those community relationships and people who want to sort of help out in any way they can. Um, and then when you said the additional PPE, can you can you tell me a little bit more about that? So for cosmetology and health assisting um, and perhaps culinary arts, we're going to purchase face shields. So it's an, an additional layer. Um, there's that just extra gloves, um, probably extra disposable masks, more than a traditional classroom would have, because I can only imagine in, in auto technology, for example, they're going to be touching their face. They're going to have it, it, it just makes sense that. I'm going to have to look at buying additional you know, supplemental material above and beyond what um, you know the school district can provide us and what families can provide for their kids. So we have set aside some money, and um, um, Dave Murphy's been helpful in trying to help me identify what money would you know classify as a COVID expense. Um, even so much as um, the the MacBooks that I'm buying and perhaps the tent purchase that I need to make. Um, you know, the senior leadership team has been really responsive in terms of before I buy anything and, and use money from my budget. Um, they're looking to see what would be um, expendable through the COVID um, CARES Act. That's good. Thank you. And then um, a, a community member was mentioning, and I think the school administration, central administration and everyone else, um, especially Dave Murphy, I'm sure, can really appreciate the need for HVAC. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, that's, that's something if we had, it would have been so wonderful had we had, you know, HVAC in our vocational school. Um, and this would have been a real opportunity um, and a way to sort of flip the script a little bit um, for our students to learn in real time. So uh, just a plug in there for HVAC for, for the vocational school <laughs> moving yeah. forward. Yeah, I hear you. A lot of work available. 
Thank you, Member Graham. Um, I just wanted to say thank you. I think um, it's really easy to come to these meetings and feel like there's only things sort of going wrong across the district. Um, and I think it's also really hard at times for people to be able to envision like what it looks like and, and just how we're dealing with what is really totally unprecedented. It is, it is we, we haven't asked education to change really ever like this. And now we're doing it like rapid fire. And it's really, there's so many things that we can't do. We can't change. We can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. Um, but I think your presentation was such a nice reminder of what we are doing, what we can do and creativity and thinking out of the box and not thinking about things in sort of a global, we can't way allows you to sort of make forward progress in small ways, which is like, we're not, we're not going to win this by hitting a home run. Like we're going to get on first base and then move to second base. Like we're, we're just, we're, we can't do this all in one fell swoop. We have to do it in a real ground game kind of way. And um, I'm terrible at sports analogies, but that was as good as I could do. Um, but I will say that um, your presentation really was powerful because it, it told us about what you are doing, what you're thinking about, and a way that you're dealing with sort of the nuances of your programs, um, which I think is really powerful. I've also heard from families that like, gee, it's going a lot better than did. And gee, my, my kid is doing great um, in their program. So good work. Thank you to all the teachers. Um, one thing to transform classroom learning to a virtual environment, it's quite another to trans teaching electrical and fab and automotive and even um, cosmetology to this venue. So you guys are rocking it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. This instructional team supports me um, and I support them. And it's a great thing we have going. There's been a lot of teachers in and out of the building for months now working on their space. It's been really pretty powerful to watch. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't want to labor the points of others, but um, it's it's uh, it was a great presentation. But um, I also want to say that the ninth grade rotation, um, I have a ninth grader, and it seems to be going well. And you know, before we got to the beginning of school, it was one of those things where I was just like, "How on earth can this even work?" Um, and it's nice that that hasn't been a challenge. I'm sure it's been a challenge for you all. Um, but it has not been a challenge on our end. And that is, I <laughs> uh, see Lou there saying it's been a little challenge, um, but uh, it's my son's been participating and I'm very thrilled that, um, that it's working. So thank you. Oh, great to hear. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, if there's no further questions, we're gonna move on to number eight, old business. A motion to approve suspension policy. Mayor. Member Rousseau. Yes, I have um, three. Do we want to read the uh, resolution since it is edited since the last time it was read into the record? Um, and then I have three emails to our account as well about it. And I can read it if you would prefer. <laughs> it's late. E either way. Um, yeah, I have it before me, so either way. 
Okay, I, I'll, I'll let you read it then. Thank you. Um, resolution on disciplinary practice of suspension, whereas Mayor Lungo Kern and the Medford City Council have declared racism a public health emergency where black, Latinx, and disabled students are disp disproportionately suspended across the nation, whereas suspensions harm students that are not suspended, whereas dropout rates are higher among students that are suspended, whereas out-of-school suspensions increase the likelihood of juvenile arrest, whereas suspended students are more likely to repeat a grade level, whereas students that are suspended are not being educated, whereas, student, whereas school attendance is a critical requirement to receive an education, whereas receiving an education is critical to academic and professional achievement, whereas student achievement is the highest goal of all school committees, now therefore be it resolved the Medford Public Schools. Number one, ends the use of out-of-school suspensions effective the first day of the school year 2021, except as permitted by law. Two, provides for the continuation of a learning environment for every in-school suspension. And three, ensures that in-school suspensions will not occur in isolation without instruction or rehabilitative, rehabilitative counseling. Four, selects alternative tools for use in discipline, such as restorative justice, wherever possible. Five, will complete a comprehensive program review of disciplinary practices across the district, including but not limited to system-wide disciplinary measures reporting to the school committee, as well as establishing a staff feedback process. Six, seeks to incorporate any funding requirements to ensure the implementation of the selected alternative with fidelity in the next budget cycle. And seven, establishes an annual reporting process that includes but is not limited to system-wide disciplinary measures reporting to the school committee, as well as establishing staff feedback process. Member Kratz? Yes, thank you. Um, yes, so I am in favor of in-school suspension. I do have some concerns. Um, you know, I wasn't at the um, subcommittee meeting, but if there are cases of extreme violence um, on another student in school, you know, will the administration um, be able to, you know, use their um discretion, you know, if necessary, if something of such violence would require, um, you know, another student to be suspended out of school um, for something of a violent nature or um, bringing drugs to school or something like weapons, um, you know, so was that addressed? And um, part two would be, you know, what about the victim of such a violent attack if, you know, let's say the victim was hurt violently and then, you know, the attacker was in school the next day, you know, what will be done for the victim in, in such an instance like this? I mean, I know it would be very rare, but it is something that, you know, can happen and it's just something that is concerning and I just have to ask it. In, Thank in, you. And, uh, my question is along the same lines as Miss um, mm -hmm. Kretz. So thank you, Miss Kretz, for, for mm -hmm. Member Kretz, for asking that. And, and basically, is just to define somewhat what is permitted by law in Number One, so that we can better understand. So that that was part of the um, discussion that we did end up having during the subcommittee meeting. 
in those exact situations where um, it could be an extreme act of violence, something that definitely would warrant um, some kind of disciplinary measure or suspension of a student. And so um, by the language of saying um, next to bullet number one, except as permitted by law, that was um, essentially that language meant that if there was something that was truly egregious um, and we were following the laws, then um, suspension would take place. So I, I feel, and you know, I felt the spirit of what member Rousseau presented to the committee was that we would not be um, suspending students in a willy nilly fashion, um, but to really be thoughtful um, about the disciplinary measures that we're putting in place, progressive discipline, and really um, paying closer attention to the students looking at our data, and the students that are being um, disciplined or recommended for suspension. And so all of those things we definitely um, are in agreement and want to do, but in situations where it is, uh, there is extreme violence and um, dis discipline must be meted out, then we will, but it will only be used in those um, truly extenuating circumstances and for less, uh, egregious offenses, we would look at progressive discipline or um, other ways to um, address inappropriate behaviors. Thank you. Um, so would, I just have a question. So would the student um, who is on an in-school suspension be going back to their regular classroom the next day, you know, um, you know, when just finishing their day, you know, daily routine, um, will there be, or will there be a sub, you know, sub-separate classroom, um, or is there going to be something after school or like some sort of a weekend, um, you know, seminar that they'll have to take in this, you know, take a course on really well? that's going to work. So um, an in-school suspension would still be coded as a suspension. Um, again, what I felt the spirit of this resolution was to really look at um, the disproportionate number of suspensions that are taking place, um, in particular um, for students of color that are suspended at higher rates nationwide. And so asking us to really look at what are our disciplinary practices, what, what warrants, um, what may have warranted suspension in the past, no longer would um, rise to the level of a suspension. But we would look at prog progressive discipline, um, working collaboratively with um, Ms. Shulman and looking at um, social emotional needs of our students. Um, some of them, you know, may need counseling or um, other alternative um, measures to help correct inappropriate behaviors. But again, if it's something where there's an extreme act of violence, um, the student would be suspended because it's putting um, the health, welfare, and safety of other students at risk. 
So I, I, I don't want people to think that, um, you know, anyone could come to school and do something that was truly egregious um, and there would be no consequence. So we, we want to look at our practices, um, which we are uh, going to continue to do. We're going to look at progressive discipline and we are going to reserve using suspension as a first, um, you know, as the first, you know, the, taking the highest level and really uh, of discipline and saying suspension is the first thing that's going to happen and really look carefully to say what warrants um, rising to the level of exclusion. And so um, that will be a difference in what has happened in the past but it's something that you know we are willing to work on and work with i hope i i hope you felt that i responded to your question yes and i just um had one more question um you know um so in in a case where there might be a victim um what types of resources would be offered to the victim if there was such an an instance like that. Um, Cause I know sometimes if somebody is a victim, they're afraid to go to school. They're afraid to see the attacker. They, they have anxiety, um, you know, just a lot of different things. And it, and it can be long lasting in, you know, into years, you know, uh, can really affect that student person. Mm -hmm. So in, in terms of um, students that we would, um, classify that way, I would, again, definitely be working with Ms. Shulman and her department. Um, we would look into providing support. Um, uh, counseling would be very important. And um, in some situations, looking for ways to create, um, to foster mediation. But um, we definitely would not want students to um, be traumatized having to come back into school. So I would definitely be working with Ms. Shulman and um, with our adjustment counselors and school counselors and guidance counselors who would be um, providing that clinical support to students who need it. So um, we, we would definitely not want to only focus on the student that um, is committing the offense. We want to focus on, again, the students that um, also equally focus on the students that were involved in the offense as well, if they would, you know, classify, be classified as the victim. So, so to follow up on that, and then member Graham, um, we don't have a plan in place, but, but you feel comfortable that we will have one before September, 2021. Yes, that's something that we are definitely going to be working on. We've talked, we knew that this um, was, it went to the subcommittee. So we were aware, working with administration and working with Ms. Shulman on um, what next steps will be in that area. So working with all of the school leaders, uh, principals, assistant principals, um, all of those who are meeting out uh, or overseeing and looking at discipline as a district. So that is something that we are, def it's not, it is not fully um, outlined 
right now in October, but that is on our radar to address it and address it completely so that we would be prepared for next school year. So we have this school year to um, work, look at our practices, make the necessary shifts that need to happen in order to be able to um, launch for September of the following year. Okay, I have more comments, but I'll remember Graham, let you go first. Um, okay, so I have several um, comments. Um, one, I think if you didn't have an opportunity to participate in the discussion, I would recommend that meeting. We talked a lot about what are our actual metrics to the superintendent's point. We, we know that students are disproportionately suspended across the nation, but we also know that is true here. Our data tells us that is true in Medford. Um, so I think this is a this is a nationwide problem, but it is also a Medford problem. And that is why I think it's so important for us to take action to address it. Um, I would also say that um, we talked a lot about um, item number one, and I think the word permitted is the wrong word. I think the word that should be there is required because there is no law that doesn't permit you to suspend students. So this sentence as written, um, and it passed by me in the subcommittee meeting, but this sentence as written basically says, we can suspend students for any reason at all, and it weren't, we're covered. Um, and that isn't the spirit of what we talked about. I will also say that I was reading one of our school handbooks and basically suspension was dangled as an answer to literally every infraction a student could make on the school, including being late to class. So um, we have a lot, we have a lot of work to do. And even like, I, I literally stopped reading the handbook because I just couldn't continue to read about how every last little thing a seventh grade student might do could warrant suspension. Um, so we have, a, we have a lot of work to do, but I think that word permitted should say required. Um, when we go down to number five um, at Ms. Schulman's um, request in the subcommittee meeting, we talked a lot about there needing to be a comprehensive program review. And to me, this is what helps this uh, policy become operational. And this program review would include, um, you know, all the things that are listed here. In the subcommittee meeting, though, we also talked about addressing our support of victims of violence or um, infractions. And frankly, we're not doing well today. So when we say that we're worried about the victims, we should be worried about that today, right now, with or without this policy. Because if happens and I am involved in an, an altercation with another student and that student is suspended, they will come back to school eventually, when, whether that's one day, two days, three days, five days, 10 days. Like unless we're expelling a student, that student comes back and that victim situation is in play. So that problem exists and is, I'll say somewhat different than the problem we're trying to address about suspension. Although because they're related, I think number five should be amended to say, and we talked about this in subcommittee, that the comprehensive program review 
Um, one of the things it will it would do, including but not limited to, but we should specifically say um, system-wide disciplinary measures, comma, reporting to the school committee, comma, support, social emotional support for um, victims as required, as well as establishing a staff feedback process. I would also say that we, we talk about those sort of extenuating circumstances that would still warrant full suspension. And if we're changing that word permitted to required um, at number one, what we should do here is we should also ask this comprehensive program review to outline the types of scenarios that we see as the, the places where we are still going to expect some sort of out of school suspension, because I think we owe it to all the people doing this work to have the entire community be clear about what those things are. So I would recommend an amendment to number one um, to change that word, an amendment to number five to address, specifically call out and address our support of victims where they exist um, in this process, as well as um, examples for amendment to this policy that would continue to warrant insertion. Um, and then I think in number seven, it, it is also missing a comma. But for me, um, I understand the sort of complex nature of how, why people feel very differently about um, this policy. And I think the work that, the meaningful work that we will do in around this comprehensive program review I think will be the place where we address some of the, um, the questions and the concerns that are valid. Um, but we do that in the context of a stated goal and an objective that we're gonna meet come the beginning of next year. So I think I, I would recommend, would make a motion to approve this with an amendment to number one and an amendment to number five um, and a comma, an extra comma in number seven. I have your amendments, um, and if I may, um, to I, I like to make an amendment myself, or just discuss it a little bit more. I just I feel like number five lets us know that there'll be a program review of disciplinary practices across the district, including A, B, and C, plus the amendment. Yet we are voting tonight to end the use of out of out of school suspension. So. I feel like there's no, like Kathy had a number of questions that really can't be answered because you need a lot of preparation and planning. So for me, I'd like to, I, I agree with the spirit of this, especially if our data is showing disproportionate suspensions. Um, I think number one should be changed to work to end the use of out-of-school suspensions effective the first day of the school year, 2021. And then obviously before that school year, we be presented a plan and if we all agree with it then we at that time vote to completely end it or we vote on that plan you know this is kathy had good questions where are what how are we gonna um help the social emotional um aspect of not only the victims but maybe the ones being suspended what are we gonna do do we have a place where we're gonna have suspensions those who are suspended 
be, you know, what are we going to do with them all day? How are they going to continue to learn? I feel like that plan needs to be laid out by Ms. Shulman and the administration. But this, but this resolution's good in a sense that we're saying as a committee, we want to work to end um, out of school suspensions, whether it's required or permitted. I, I think you even take that that out. We work to, to end it after, and then we vote to finalize a plan once it's in place. And I, that, those are just my suggestions. I know Mr. Murphy has wanted to state something and then Ms. Van de Kloot, mm -hmm. member Van de Kloot. Hey, Do you want me to go first? Yes, and then member Vandekloot. Okay. You might be end up, I think, and then member Vandekloot. Sure, just in response to Ms. Graham's points, I think that um, the as required language that was amended uh, during, or it was suggested by the administration and then put into the uh, resolution at the subcommittee level was the an attempt to align what is in effect policy language with the statutory language that uh, governs student disciplinary actions in the, the Commonwealth. And the point that was made at the subcommittee that I think is important in, in the context of the conversation that was taking place earlier uh, in tonight's meeting, in, the, in this conversation, particularly in response to um, other members' questions, is that if that word were to be changed, and this is rendered moot at the, to the mayor's point, if this is um, if this is shifts to more aspirational language as to something we're working toward, then this wouldn't take effect. But if we were to just change permitted to required in that language, we would in effect be ending all out of school suspensions. There would be no instances in which, according to the school committee policy, in instances of violence or other extent, other extreme circumstances where the administration could impose an, an out-of-school suspension um, and not violate school committee policy. And the situation that, as we discussed at the subcommittee that we were looking to avoid, was a situation in which the administration had to choose between fulfilling the uh, obligations that it has, that which are contemplated by the law, and the obligation, the law being the statute, and the obligation to follow school committee policy. And there would be an impossible situation that a principal or superintendent would be put in if there if the policy were to get ahead of this the statute so that was the that was the rationale behind that but because as we said as we said in that meeting there would be a situation in which an administrator using their best professional judgment would feel compelled to violate the school committee policy if excluding a student was what was necessary to maintain safety in in the building and so that that is it was an attempt at alignment. That's that's how we how we got to that place. Again, it's moot if we're gonna switch to more aspirational language, but the superintendent's response to the initial questions in this conversation would be different if that word were changed were to be changed to required, because essentially there's no statute that ever requires us to impose an out-of-school suspension. That's that just doesn't exist. There are laws that permit how a student is excluded, but there are no conditions under which the administration is obligated to do that. Is there are situations in which the administration under the statute is empowered to do that, and then would do that when that in, it, in the administrator's judgment was what was necessary. Um, but that that is the that's the reasoning for that language. And the school committee obviously can set a policy that does get ahead of the statute, but uh, it would it would be concerning 
because I think it would be inevitable that some administrator would have to violate that that policy. The last thing I'll just say really quickly, what was very clear to us in that subcommittee meeting, and I thought I think we all walked away from it thinking it was a very important conversation. And frankly, based on the feedback that the subcommittee was receiving from members of the uh, broader administration of building administrators, um, it was alarming some of the information that was being shared. And I think we came away from that understanding the heightened importance and the emphasis that needed to go on uh, that needed to be placed on scrutinizing our practices um, because it was it was it was an important conversation and it was informative um, but it, it, there were mo there were parts of it that were particularly alarming and I think helped all of us to sort of sort of crystallize the urgent nature of the need to review some of these um, some of these practices. Thank you yeah. member, member Vanderkloot and then member Rousseau. Um, I wanted to speak in favor actually of the original motion. I think um, that I'm more comfortable um, and was comfortable with it. I mean, uh, of, of being a certainty that as of, we will no longer do this. I think that sets into motion everything that we need in terms of, um, of, of getting to the place where we need to be. The motion spells out the need um, for instance, for re resources for restorative justice and perhaps training and other things. Um, the, I want to be clear to the community that not what we're saying is we're not saying that um, students will not be held accountable for actions that are inappropriate, um, but in fact they will be held accountable in a more effective way for the betterment of the whole community, not only for them, but for the betterment of the whole community. Um, and so uh, I, I actually disagree with you, Mayor, on, on making it aspirational because I think that what um, the intent was, was to set a, this is what we're gonna do. And then in the course of this year is, this is how we're gonna make it happen. Yeah, as far as making it happen, how, how can we vote to end it until we know how we're gonna make that happen? Because I agree with I agree with the changes for, for you know ninety nine percent of the changes and the or the motion in front of us. I just want to know the plan first. You know, are we gonna is each pr individual principal gonna have the authority to decide what is permitted or required by law, or are we gonna have a chain of command where one person is one person probably should review every single potential in school or out of school suspension so that we are consistent and fair and we make sure um, whatever wrongs we've done in the past are corrected. I wanna see that before us and get you know the presentation. I think this means September, 2021. So will that be in June or July where we see a plan laid out and say, yes, now this is a good plan. Let's vote to, to solidify what we're trying to do and end suspension. I just feel like a plan is is essential in this. In, in my head, and, and maybe we're we're quibbling because in my head, by saying this, you're then um, that is what we will be doing this year. Where where sometimes you need to set something in the affirmative uh, so that your work goes. I mean, rather than saying, oh, well, we're going to have this and we're going to, I so you know we may ultimately have the same goal. I just mm -hmm. think that there's value to be saying, um, making it a declaration. 
Member Russo? Thank you. Um, I also do not, um, uh, I believe it was three years ago when the law was changed and that set in motion aspirational changes to suspensions and discipline. And effectively, it looks like our data doesn't look any different. Um, and, um, you know, when I think about the difference between aspirational and uh, effectively just telling the superintendent to get it done, <laughs> I don't mean to talk to her like that, but, um, you know, from a policy perspective, that's what we're supposed to do. We want this done. And what the plan looks like and how she gets it done is her business. That's operational. Um, and I don't want us to, I mean, I don't want to sit and be involved in a 50 page manual on how to actually make it happen. Um, I, I, I want her to assign somebody on her staff and all the work that will be required to happen that way. Um, you know, I think about when, when I think about not getting this done as soon as possible, I think about the fact that there are actual consequences to real people, our students. Um, and, you know, it's 2020. This work could have been done 50 years ago. It wasn't done. Could have been done 49 years ago. It wasn't done. Uh, if not now, then when? And that will be the same conversation next year if we don't just get on with it. Um, as for the issue of the uh, required or permitted, I, I dislike the word permitted immensely for the same reasons Member Graham does. Um, although I, I am trying to flip it around in my head around which one is actually technically what we mean. Um, and I'm not 100% sure that I, I, I think permitted, the, the whole sentence is screwed up. It's like, we want to say like, um, what Mr. Murphy said was, you know, only under certain very, very specific situations. Um, and I, I, I agree that the law doesn't, I mean, we referenced it in the subcommittee that it doesn't specify this offense, this is a suspension. That is not what it says. So um, required by law would probably not work there. Um, that was added by the administration. And um, I kind of felt a bit like, the school committee can't pass a policy that supersedes the law. Um, but can we be more restrictive? For instance, you know, if the law isn't going to say, if you do this, you get suspended. It, and it doesn't say that. Therefore, we could actually be more restrictive and say no suspension, no matter what. Um, and I don't think we wanted to go there yet. And I think it's important to note that according to the dashboard, which I, I mean, I won't go through all that right now with the in this meeting but according to the dashboard our data is i think we talk about a lot of scenarios that are imagined it's sort of what i end up doing a lot in my my day job i imagine all these scenarios that aren't real scenarios i mean they could potentially happen but um and um you know when you look at our data you know it, we, we don't have this wildly violent student body we don't have gangs roaming with you know with shotguns and you know all this stuff that I think we play out as well. What if that happened? Um, and um, you know I don't think any policy. First of all, any policy of the school committee, if the superintendent feels she needs to violate it, then she'll just violate it and deal with the consequences. It's not like the, the the policy is. And I'm not suggesting that that's the way that that we would want to build a policy. I'm just saying, if somebody's in the building with a gun, a student. 
and our policy says you can't suspend them, they're still going to call the police. I mean, I mean, we can't write a policy that would make that not be what happens. Um, so I, I just think we don't want to get um, too ahead of ourselves on on the language here, because the other thing is, it's just a policy. We can come back in six months, next July, next September, the school committee will always exist and we can just change it. Now, I think that the, this, this, it has to be perfect is, is something I've noticed a lot. I do it, I think, I feel like this committee does it all the time and I'm guessing all school committees do it, but it doesn't have to be perfect. We can just come back and amend it if we discover we made a, we screwed up a piece of wording here or there, or we set something too restrictive or not restrictive enough. Um, it, it's totally within our, our purview to just come back and fix it. And the superintendents, you know, uh, one of her responsibilities is to suggest policy and changes or new policies. That, that's just totally normal. So um, I, I would, um, I don't know where to go on this permitted versus required part. Um, I certainly agree with including the, um, the, 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 the issues around victims. I, wrote it down but I can't find it in my sticky notes um, but um, you know the, the problem with permitted is it found, sounds very much like we're not going to do this but you go ahead and do it anyways it's that's the way the wording feels I don't feel that the administration is taking it that way though so I, I guess I go either way okay so we have um, it doesn't sound like there's any disagreement for member Graham's amendment to number five which is to add after reporting to the school committee, you add a comma, social emotional support for victims. Um, so if we could maybe take a roll call on that, if there's a motion on the floor for that amendment. Motion member member Graham, Graham. Motion, I'll second it. motion by member Graham, seconded by member McLaughlin, roll call. Uh, so on the amendment, number five. Correct. Jenny Graham? Yes. Kathy Kretz? Yes. Melanie McLaughlin? Yes. Mia Mistone? Yes. Paul Rousseau? Yes. Paulette Vanderkloot? Yes. Um, and Mayor? Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion carries. Um, if I may just add that we do be, that the school committee be provided the, the plan, whether you want to read it or not, I just would like to to know what the plan is, whether that's in June or July or August. Um, if, if we could review that and somebody can make a motion. Uh, I make a motion to make an amendment that the, um, uh, the central administration uh, present to the school committee their plan uh, to enact uh, this uh, motion. motion uh, let's, let's say, um, I think we really need to know what it what it is. Uh, so, if I said May, would that be uh, acceptable? So, if there's discussion about it, there's time. That's up to the admin. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking towards uh, the superintendent. Yes. So, I would say uh, in May of 2021. Is there a second? Seconded by Member Graham. Great. Paul. A roll call? Okay. Uh, Jenny Graham? I'll say one. Excuse me? Yes. Yes. Kathy Kretz? Yes. 
uh, Melanie McLaughlin? Yes. Mia Mastone? Yes. Paul Rousseau? Yes. Paulette Vanderkloot? Yes, Mayor. Yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. That amendment passes. So now it seems like the resolution is um, good the way it stands. We just have concerns about how to word or reword number one. And so once that's complete, Mr. Murphy. I would just say that the amendment that was suggested by the administration was an, an attempt to stay consistent, as I said, not just with the statute, but what we heard the committee saying was its intent at the previous at the school committee meeting preceding the subcommittee. So, and I, I, I haven't heard anything different tonight either. So if it's the committee's intention to um, limit out of school suspensions to only the most extreme circumstances, which as I said, based on the conversation we had at the subcommittee, I think a number of us and the senior leadership walked away um, feeling as though there was an even greater urgency than the one that we walked into the meeting with that as this is an issue we need to look at and scrutinize very, very closely as a district, both because of the proportionality issues and some of the information that was shared at that subcommittee. But if assuming that the committee's intent is not to eliminate out of school suspensions in their entirety, then I think we changed, we, we added as little language as possible to try to keep it consistent with what the committee was wanting to do. But the way to clarify that further, and I think provided might be the other P word that we could uh, substitute permitted with. And it's, I think what that does is it helps ensure alignment between the policy and the statute because the statute spells out a number of important procedural requirements that the policy would then um, heighten. And that's important because an administration that has less fidelity to the statutes and the policy that this one does could uh, veer off from the statutory requirements and not be a sound basis for a school committee to hold that administ administration accountable. And so by, by buttressing the statutory requirement with policy requirement, you give the school committee or school committees you know, going forward the opportunity to hold the administration to account with regard to living up to its values and principles. So I think if we're trying to keep the language as consistent and similar as possible as to what was originally provided, then either permitted or provided would be the way to go. If the committee wants to go further into possibly changing the language, then I would recommend language around using except, except in extreme circumstances or except when there is a, a, a threat of some kind or a danger of some kind. Again, as is the case with some of the metrics discussion, the more specific we get with regard to the language, the greater the risk is that there's a piece that we're not thinking of in this moment that will come up as a fact pattern sometime in the next 50 years. But I think that that's the sort of reason for that language and to have it, um, it because it, it does give you as a school committee a tool to hold the administration accountable to make sure that there isn't the type of disproportionality that we're currently seeing going forward. Um, and I think permitted or provided does accomplish that. But the other way to do it, as I said, would be add another clause further specifying the circumstances under which someone could be suspended. But as an administration, what we'd ask is to have some type of catch-all for the situations that do involve danger, dangerous and threats that we're not currently um, contemplating. So I appreciate you hearing me out on that. Um, I just don't want to put us in a situation where it's inevitable that a superintendent violates a policy. Mm. I think that's dangerous ground. Yes, I agree. Uh, member Graham, then member Vandekloot. So I agree with 
Miss Murphy, that I think we're all in alignment with of what we're to do. Um, I, you know, we read to this language in the subcommittee meeting and then um, there was, you know, a pretty significant reaction from folks that I heard from who, who read the language, you know, and read it at its face. And that's sort of where I, where I'm concerned about the word permitted. I do like the word provided. I think it sort of strikes a balance that helps keep us in check with the law. It, um, I don't, it's squishy enough, I guess, to like provide that I think that we all want. And I think we, I think we have alignment on the intent. Um, but I think, you know, we want to try to write policy that clearly states our intent as well, because what, you know, what I don't want us to do is write policy that just is sort of ineffective because you can do whatever you want. Um, and I don't think that's the administration's intent at all. I don't to imply that's what you're doing, because I think you're going to work. You have a lot of work ahead of you to make this come to life. Um, and I don't want the, the community to think that you're, you know, paying lip service to some policy that we have put in place. So I would make a motion to amend number one to replace the word permitted with provided. Okay, member Vanderclute. I'll second that motion. And motion by member Graham, seconded by member Vanderclute, roll call. To change the word, correct? Correct. Yeah, so Jenny Graham? Yes. Jenny? Yes. Kathy Gretsch? I just have a quick question. So does the administration still have the, um, you know, can they still use their judgment to make a decision whether or not it's going to be an in-school or out-of-school suspension based on what um, what occurred? As, as provided by law. And we will be provided a plan in the late spring, early summer. So we'll be able to understand more what has been decided by the administration. And Mayor, if, if I could just very quickly add, I think that would be a good opportunity for the administration to spell out with a greater level of specificity the narrow circumstances under which um, we would ex we would ex anticipate principals exercising their statutory authority to do this. And I can assure you that that has already been communicated informally that there's an ex that those circumstances have to be narrowed considerably from what we heard. And I'm, I'm sure this discussion, which is, I think, a, our third or fourth plus a committee meeting on it, is making it very clear to principals that we, even though this isn't going to start till September, we are aware of the disproportionality and we're not okay with it. So I, I would um, okay. motion uh, for approval. Um, on the amendment, we I hadn't finished the roll call, so I'm going to start again on the amendment, which is changing permitted to provided. Um, Jenny Graham? Yes. Kathy Kretz? Yes. Uh, Melanie McLaughlin? Yes. Mia? Yes. Um, Paul Rousseau? Yes. Paulette, yes. Mayor? Yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. Mayor. Motion for approval of the main motion. Mayor? Member Rousseau? Um, I have um, four emails from the public to read. Please do. Thank you. 
This is from uh, Jane Hamill of Maynard, Maynard Street. I want to share my strong support for ending the practice. I need to move to my other glasses. I want to share my strong support for ending the practice of out-of-school suspensions and replacing it with more restorative justice initiatives and support for the student. I hope the school committee takes the city's call to recognize racism as a public health emergency seriously and look forward to changes in our school discipline codes. Next one is um, Dear Medford School Committee. It's from Jen Lewis um, uh, on Russell Street. I write tonight in support of the resolution to stop suspensions from our schools. Research shows that they do not help and that they are used disproportionately on students of color, especially, uh, specifically in Medford as well as nationally. If a student is struggling, it's let's get them the help they need, not further alienate them. Next um, is from Kate Carson of Burgett Avenue. I am a teacher, a parent, and a volunteer leader of a student group in which PTSD is effectively a universal ailment. I have two main concerns about suspensions as a means of punishment for students. One data shows that suspension is being used younger and younger and disproportionately against minority students. It is well-documented part of the school-to-prison pipeline phenomenon. If we want to build a better, more just, and more peaceful world, we have to start in the schools. Two, but it isn't always bias. It is often extreme, persistent bad behavior. Even then, the students of the kinds of behavior that appropriately invite intensive disciplinary attention often comes often come from traumatized kids. Trauma isn't a kind of problem one can talk or reason their way out of. It doesn't respond to logical rewards and punishments because it doesn't even touch the reasoning parts of the brain. So we're not fixing the problem with so we're not fixing the problem with suspension. We might even be making it worse. When the child is living with trauma, that trauma may be happening at home and school might be the safest, most stable place for the student. In place of suspension, I would like to see trauma-informed supportive invest uh, interventions to help kids build the tools to manage behavior and stop furthering their community, uh, hurting their communities. Such intervention would ideally land as support for both students and teachers. I am not against consequences, and I do not think that teachers and kids should have to put up with extreme disruptive behavior, but I am very much in favor of modernizing our disciplinary system to treat the actual problems and support teachers and students in lasting ways. I believe we can do better than suspension. And last one, um, this is from uh, Brenna Christensen of Fern Road. Hello, I am really, it is really important for Medford High to implement a peer mediation program for the new suspension policy to truly work. I, along with other students, advocate for this type of program during, advocated for this type of program during my time at Medford High School. It would be very beneficial to our Mustang community to be trained in such skills. And that is the last email. Thank you. Thank you. So on the main motion, please. Um, on the main motion, um, and that was made by Mr. Rousseau and seconded by Ms. Graham. Yeah. Um, Jenny? Yes. Uh, Kathy Kratz? Yes. Mia Mastone? Yes. Melanie McLaughlin? Yes. Um, Paul Rousseau? Yes. Paulette Vanderkloot, yes. Mayor 
Lung current. Yes, seven affirmative, zero in the negative, the paper passes. Next up, if we could have a brief update on the Alpha Med app policy. Or if there's no update, we do we, it doesn't have anybody who's going to present. Do are we keeping that on the table or? I'm happy to just give a provide a quick update if that's, if that's helpful. So we have tentative agreements with, um, or agreements in, in effect for this provision um, with two of our bargaining partners for mandatory enrollment in the um, alpha in the COVID care alpha med uh, tracker. And we have um, disseminated the registration information for principals uh, for them to help begin to enroll their school communities as uh, students come in. The committee had left it open when this was discussed in September as to whether it would be the policy of the district to mandate student enrollment. But if you recall, during the course of that discussion, um, the administration inquired as to whether we should move forward with trying to just enroll as many um, families as possible because whether it is mandatory or voluntary, the app is dependent on um, having as much robust participation as possible. So we have done that and each school community has been notified about the uh, opportunity to enroll in it and the service that it provides but to individuals and to the community at large. And we're gonna continue to push that to get as many people enrolled as possible. Um, and we'll defer to the committee as to whether, it, how it should be communicated and as to whether it should be um, considered an expectation of the district or, um, or not. But that is either way, it is being pushed to try to build the enrollment as, as much as possible, because again, that is the, its effectiveness is dependent upon um, a high level of participation. Thank you very much. Um, number three, Chromebook tip sheet sent out on 10 to 2020 superintendent memo. Anything further on that? No, just stating that that was. Um, that was sent. Yes, that it was sent. Thank you. Number four, class size report requested by member Vandekloot, hybrid numbers versus remote numbers by classroom, which was also um, given to us. Anything? Any no comments? No. Okay. Um, Mayor? Member Vandekloot? Uh, we received the report mm -hmm. uh, and we discussed earlier the uh, Columbus School Classroom uh, and uh, numbers at the Brooks. So uh, right now I'm okay. Um, with where we're at or I understand where we're at. Um, so um, we can move on if, unless Thank someone you. wants to speak to it. Uh. As long as the families are communicated with, I think um, and things are being handled, I think we're good. Number five, update requested by member McLaughlin, circumstances under which students receive bus passes. Any further questions on that? Yes, what are they? <laughs> so we're, so we're they working, yeah, yeah. We are still working on the um, bus pass piece. I don't know if-, if uh, Motion to table. Mr. Murphy has a response. Yeah, I mean, they have been disseminated and they were for the, for the, for the initial month. Um, my understanding is that the refunds have been distributed and um, I had a meeting in my office specifically about this. So whether they, whether all the funds have been refunded or not is, is something I should have at the tip of my uh, fingertips. And I'm, I'm highly, I'm confident that they were. And if there's anyone that has not yet received a refund, um, which I, as I'm now 
reconstructing the conversation in my head. I'm remembering that there are some that did not, but they're current students who have cards and, and they're available for use. But the those who graduated, who there was some concern as to when they would be refunded as a result of the closure in the spring, those funds have, have been returned. The bus passes were sold in the lobby of Medford High School, um, I, think, I think two weeks ago. And uh, we have some budget transfers that have to occur um, to replenish the student activities account, which is generally where the funds are um, where the, the bills are paid from to MBTA, but um, they are available and, and students have taken advantage of, of that. So I guess what I'm asking, and maybe, and obviously at this late hour, I'm not asking, um, it's not what I am, I don't expect that I'm going to get this answer here. So um, I'm willing to table this for the next meeting, but I guess I want some elaboration on what I'm asking for. So if I need to make a motion, for what I'm asking for, I can do that, but I'll I'll defer to the superintendent once I, I get this out. What I am asking and what I have never understood, frankly, in the years that I have attended school committee meetings prior to um, running for office, um, and it would always be sort of sidelined and, the, and it sort of would just be put aside and, and people wouldn't talk about it anymore or whatever, but I was always be sitting in the audience wondering, what is, wait, hold on a second, are we expecting our students to provide transportation to school themselves through buying MBTA passes, purchasing MBTA passes to get to school. Um, and many of whom are probably, talk about disproportionality, many of whom are probably most affected are, uh, you know, uh, by the cost of the MBTA passes. Um, and, and how are we, you know, remediating that cost? Isn't it our, isn't it our responsibility, certainly two miles you know, and over, it seems it's our responsibility to provide transportation, you know, so on and so forth. So it just always seemed, you know, I grew up in Lawrence and I went to Lawrence Public Schools. And if we had to pay for our own bus passes to be able to get a bus to school, we would have never gotten to school. So, or we would have been late or we would not have had the money or it was a choice between food or bus passes or whatever. So what I'm asking for from central administration um, is, some accounting for who is having to purchase these bus passes, under what circumstances, how do we support those students financially if they need it, um, and why are students expected to pay for transportation to school um, and not the public school when our taxpayer dollars should be paying for that? So those are the questions. I don't need them tonight, Dave. Um, I can put it on the next school, school committee meeting. I'm happy to, you know, table it for the next school committee meeting. But those are the questions that I would like answered because it's been something that's been on my mind for a while watching these meetings. And I just really want to understand um, and ensure that um, our poorest students are not being, you know, uh, having to pay, you know, X amount of dollars monthly to get to school. Okay. So further Thank uh, you. Um, update and investigation into that. Absolutely. Um, Communications, I don't believe there is any new business. We have a resolution by member Graham, be it resolved that the chair of the school committee provides a schedule of pending committee of the whole meeting so the public may plan to participate as desired. Pending meetings include the MHS vision committee restart, capital plan review, playground CPA, grant review for current grant and future submissions, Columbus renaming, financial audit results before 1030 revolving account reviews based on our previously approved motion, food service program review, 
before and after school program review, community schools program review, and rate card development could include driver's ed, rank eagerly school athletics and pool, meet program review, kids corner program review, vocational programs program review, lost book program review, short tuition. Um, the superintendent and I have been working on this a bit and um, we, I'm gonna schedule two meetings a month starting on the, I'm trying shooting for the first one, which I've been working on since last week for the capital improvement um, meeting, joint presentation to the committees on the 28th. I'm just waiting for confirmation from the consultant on that one. And then I will send the committee a list of two dates for November, December, January, February, and March to start us off. And I asked that based on the 15 or so meetings that need to be held. If, if all the school committee members can give me within the next few days, a list of priorities and I will calculate those and do the best I can to make sure meetings that are um, the meetings that the committee want to have sooner will happen sooner than, than later since we have about eight meetings per month plus the union negotiations. So um, I feel that, that would be sufficient and we should be able to get them all in by the end of the year on top of budget meetings that start in January. Member McLaughlin. Thank you. I was gonna suggest a friendly amendment to Member Graham through the chair if we would add um, out of district review on the revolving account, revolving account reviews based on previously approved motion. That was a, um, that's been a longstanding item on the sort of circular list. Um, and with that friendly amendment request, I would second the motion. Motion by for approval by Member Graham, seconded by Member McLaughlin as amended. Roll call. Aye. Jenny Graham? Yes. Kathy Kretz? Yes. Melon McLaughlin? Yes. Mia Mistone? Yes. Paul Rousseau? Yes. Paulette Vanderkloot, yes. Mayor? Yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. Paper is passed. Um, Mayor, do, yes. you have a, do you have a schedule of the, like when you're planning to have these meetings? Yes, I sent that to the superintendent this morning to get approval and I'll be sending, I'll send an email to the entire committee tomorrow to hold all these dates. And then okay. once they get back your list of priorities, we can, they may be a little tougher depending on when the um, reviews are. I'll just run them by the superintendent and then we can try to schedule as many confirmed subject matters as possible on those dates. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, we have a few condolences. Oh, um, there's he, one more motion. There's one more new business. Number two. Okay. Somebody else have the agenda. I have, I don't have anything else on mine. I can read it. Thanks. Um, to Senator Edward Markey, Senator Elizabeth Warren, U.S. Representative Catherine Clark, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, Massachusetts Secretary of Education, James Pizer, Massachusetts Commissioner of Education, Jeffrey Riley, Massachusetts Senate President Karen Spilka, Massachusetts House Speaker Robert DeLeo, 
Senator Patricia Jalen, Representative Paul Donato, Representative Christine Barber, and Representative Sean Garbley. Whereas teen remote learning model has negatively and disproportionately affected students with learning disabilities, students of lower economic status, ELL students, and students who identify as minorities. Whereas social emotional trauma, both individually and collectively, has yet to be truly realized in students experience the shutdown of their local school buildings and separation from their peers of adults. And whereas the students of the Commonwealth have already missed valuable face-to-face -face instructional opportunities with teachers and would benefit from focusing on those important instructional opportunities and emotional supports. Therefore, be it resolved that the Medford School Committee rejects the students of 2022 who missed their 10th grade MCAS testing to be required to during the 2020-21 school year or ever. We demand that these students be held harmless for not taking the MCAS and that their graduation requirements shall be, shall be locally controlled by, by locally controlled voices of the school committee and school administration within the remaining graduation requirements of Massachusetts. Be it further resolved that the Medford School Committee calls for a moratorium on all high stakes testing for the 2021 school year so that all students can benefit from their time being focused on direct instruction. We urge the state legislature to enact a moratorium on high stakes testing for three years. Second. Um, you, I mean, we're, if there's no questions, I just have a question. Oh, I, just where it said demand, just, I, just respectfully request that we add the word respectfully request rather than demand. We demand those students be held. I, I mean, we I just feel like it will go over better if we respectfully request those students be held har harmless for not taking the MCAS. I mean, we have no right to demand the delegation. And other than that, that's that's fine. I Yeah, I... Um I want you to know that this um, amendment almost exactly um, with that word demand is um, being proposed at MASC's conference to be voted on statewide by the Mass Association of School Committees. And I, I also struggled with that word, but I sort of decided to let MASC's written language stand think that all the evidence points to there being no appetite to even talk. Um, so I'm not, I, I think, I assume that's why MAS this word demand pretty artfully um, to demonstrate how strongly they feel about this and how strongly they feel about the fact that there's no appetite to take this up. So um, I, I guess I could go either way, but the fact that we're already gearing up to take standardized tests at the end of this year, regardless of like, we can't keep paying lip service as a state, as a school committee, as a to social emotional health, and then just be like, but we're going to test you like not like this is just a regular like that. Um, that does not sit right with me. I would rather our educators have the time and the space to do what they need to do to help get their students through this pandemic. Um, and they can do that without um, being tied to MCAS. 
benefit. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with, with I agree with all of that. I just have a hard time demanding something of our governor and our state reps and delegation and um, house leader. And yeah, I'm fine to change it. I just, yeah, I think demanding is actually appropriate in terms of the listening audience. It's appropriate at this point, but I'm happy to change it if that passes, if that makes this pass. I would, I would agree to it if that was, if that was changed. I don't know how my colleagues feel. And I know it's just a word, but. Mayor. Yes, Mayor McLaughlin and then member Van de Kloot. Um, so it, it, you know, it, it's so interesting. I'm, I, I, I'm of two minds on this. I have, I'm, I feel conflicted about it in a number of ways. And I, you know, since grad school three years ago, we would have many, many discussions in our state ed policy class um, around this. And in fact, we had the, you know, folks who came in who actually created the MCAS talk about why they created the MCAS. And I was peppering them with a lot of questions at the time because I, I, I don't, you know, um, approve of high stakes testing and, and standardized testing. I think that it, it's, you know, for a whole host of reasons, I think, you know, for all the reasons that I think are pretty obvious to a lot of people. Um, but the other, the other piece that's really important that I think as we're having this conversation that people do need to consider is part of the reason that it was created. And I, I think it was, it was, it was, it was wrong. It's also a graduation requirement for many, many people and individuals with frankly, intellectual and developmental disabilities don't get a diploma because they don't pass this test. There's a whole host of equity things around it. There's a bunch of, bunch of things that I have issue with as well. So um, this, I agree very much with the spirit of this. Part of my concern is also around um, the accountability for this. So just historically, when we're talking about students with disabilities who really in my lifetime were just allowed to go to public school. Um, I, I remember students with disabilities coming to public school in my, when I was in middle school. It was the first time I had seen people with Down syndrome, frankly. Um, and, and they were in a trailer in the back of our uh, middle school. Um, so this was all again in our lifetime. And for a long, 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 long time, those students weren't even really given any curriculum or academic rigor or any requirements. Um, and so part of what this, these sorts of testing can do, while I don't think they're doing it right, as I'm saying, as, as you know, I would say, it's also around accountability to be, to ensure that we have some measure of where our students are and where they're learning. I couldn't agree more in a year of a pandemic. Absolutely not. We have way too much going on, especially with the social emotional piece. And, you know, but I do want to just express a little bit, some of the, my concern and conflict, especially when, and I get the spirit of MASC, and I believe in the progressive nature of this and standardized testing, but I also feel like I don't want to forget these marginalized populations, our English learners, our students with disabilities, other um, marginalized populations where there, if there's no measure of accountability of what we're seeing, they're actually being taught. So part of the reason that the MCAS was created by David, um, Oh my God, I forget. He was the secretary at the time, his last name right now, but um, and, sorry. Driscoll? Yes, thank you. David Driscoll and, um, and Paul Revel and, you know, others was, you know, people were graduating from BPS and they weren't able to get jobs um, because they were, they were illiterate. They weren't able to read. Um, and so the business community was really pushing back on the education community because this is sort of where things were happening. 
So that's why they created these standardized tests. And then they saw, you know, they did see a, di a significant difference data wise around um, literacy. But I, I did ask David Driscoll specifically, I said, well, what about, you know, your achievement gap, right? Like what, how do you address your achievement gap? And he said, you know, yeah, the achievement gap is sort of the Achilles heel of the MCAS or the standardized testing. I'm like, you know, I, and I think frankly, it's more than the Achilles heel. It's, it's, it's a big part. It's a, it's a, you know, the torso, if you will, but so it's, it's just, I feel like, you know, I'm a little conflicted and I want to share with my colleagues, my concern around the conflict. And I would love to hear a little bit, maybe if somebody would just, you know, respond to that a little bit about how, that is also being addressed. And so when we urge the state legislator to enact a moratorium on high stakes testing of three years, I don't want high stakes testing. I want accountability, you know, to make sure that our students are learning and that we're seeing that they're learning and that we have some basis around that. So I do agree that we don't need high, state high stakes testing, but I also feel that, you know, public age education needs accountability for, especially for our more marginalized populations, because we often find that you know, they do slip through the cracks as can be seen by our achievement gap. So I'd ask my colleagues to respond to that if they could a little bit to help me wrap my mind around it a little bit better. Um, I think um, member Van de Kloot wanted to speak. I don't know if you wanna speak on this and then member Graham. Yeah, I mean, Melanie's asking a much wider question that we could spend hours and hours discussing mm -hmm. um and um you know i want to tell you testing is a big business and that we're spending all this money on testing this year when it could be spent so much better not only this year but in my mind every year Amen. Uh, you know if you look at the data and you see the correlation between um kids who do great on the mcas versus kids who not and you look at the financial um uh, wealth of the communities that they live in, you get a pretty clear picture. And frankly, you don't need a whole lot more. And so for me, we're spending a lot of time and a lot of energy on testing when it could be spent in so much more creative, interesting, and um, beneficial ways for, um, for all of our communities. Um, so anyway, that's my, you know, I've had a kept this position for a long time. Right now, um, we're, we've got demand or so demand because we're angry or respectfully submitted because we're polite. Okay. I don't particularly care which way it goes. Um, I know that the MASC, you know, says demand. I am angry that it is being, uh, put out this year. On the other hand, uh, I understand, uh, we are elected officials. We deal in a certain way of civility. And uh, if we uh, find it more comfortable, if the mayor finds it more comfortable, because these people, I mean, frankly, most of the people on this letter, we know they agree with us. You know, Pat Jalen agrees with us. Sean Garbley agrees with us. So I'm, I'm fine either way, but I think we just need to, to call it one way or the other and go after my sure. colleagues uh, weigh in. Um, Member Kratz? Yes. Um, yes. I, I think we should definitely have a moratorium. Um, right now, you know, we need to focus on the remote, the hybrid, you know, we can't, you know, have the standardized testing. I definitely don't think we should have that this year. And I support the resolution. Um, I think, you know, I go towards the friendlier wording. Um, you know, I just, myself, 
you know, if anybody demands something of me, it, it just stresses me out. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm going to go for the friendlier wording. Um, if requests that, you know, we don't have it, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the mayor's recommendation. Um, I do support the resolution. I just wanted to share my thoughts. Motion to approve as amended. Is anybody going to address, sorry, I just wanted to ask a point of information. Is anyone going to address the achievement gap and the disproportionality? So I hear you guys, I agree. What I'm asking though is about, what about these students who are at the low end of our achievement gap and who are constantly like to Paulette's point, they're not, um, they're not getting that. And that was sort of that data was sort of showing us that at least, and then there's something that needs to be done about it. So I agree, Paulette, this is a conversation that can go on and on. So I don't want that, but I also do want to recognize here um, among my colleagues, I want some, you know, understanding or some exp explanation or some recognition. And I'm also going to ask the same of um, MASC because I actually hadn't seen this and I'll reach out to, to, um, to Glenn and Tracy and just ask them about sort of, that big elephant in the room there, because I, I, I agree with this, but I also think that piece needs to be addressed. Member Graham. So, you know, there are some all places where um, there is pilot work happening to talk about how to qualify accountability without it equaling MCAS. And it would be my hope our state legislature would use this moratorium time and this to actually prioritize that work because I don't think testing answers the questions that you're looking for. Um, I think it is possible to build a system that holds us all accountable um, without using MCAS to do it. Um, but we have to want to do it. And frankly, I know that as a, as, a legis as a government, we're sort of in that place where we want to do that. Perhaps this provides some space for people to be able to really think about question. That's how I'd like to see our state leaders view this. I would also express my profound disappointment in today that the Student Opportunity Act will not be a thing this year. So all districts are expecting huge infusions of money they are not getting it this year. We, I mean, we didn't stand to gain much in year one, um, but we've just pushed all of that off a year as a state because we got my pandemic, which to me is not the same as addressing the, the Student Opportunity Act historically was there to, to, um, to address. So I'm profoundly disappointed that that is, the state of affairs um, and, and that in spite of all of that, we're like full steam ahead on MCAS. So I have a good answer to your question about um, accountability, but I don't, I don't personally believe that MCAS gives us that even in the best of times. Um, frankly, if I were a legislator, I would be really afraid of what these MCAS results this year would say, because I think they will quite clearly say that rich communities did just fine. Communities that are cash strapped did not. Um, and, and that data 
then become sort of a lightning rod. I, I, I don't know, like, I, <laughs> um, but the, in the aspect of what, what I think we have the power to do, the legislature knows that as a school committee, we don't think this is the answer for this. Um, and I think we should take up questions about accountability and what we think that looks like and how we mobilize and try to affect change in an ongoing way, in a non-pandemic sense at some other, not 10.30 hour. Thank you. Thank you. So motion for approval as amended by member Rousse by member Graham, seconded by member Rousseau. Roll call. Uh, sure. Uh, Jenny Graham. Yes. Uh, Kathy. Yes. Chris, Mia, uh, sorry, Melanie McLaughlin. Yes. Mia Mastone. Yes. Paul Rousseau. Yes. Paulette. Yes. Mayor. Yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Motion passes as amended. Um, our condolences, uh, we have three, I believe. The Medford School Committee offers its sincere condolences to the family of Joyce Squawker, mother of Michael Squawker, Medford High School teacher and advisor to CCSR. Also, the Medford School Committee offers its sincere condolences to the family of Louise musto Shote, a board member of CACHE, which is a partner of the Medford Public Schools. The Medford School Committee offers its sincere condolences to the family of Chip Piatti, who served as a paraprofessional for 18 years for the Medford Public Schools, where he often helped students with architecture projects. If we all may take a moment of silence. Thank you. Motion to adjourn. Motion to adjourn by member McLaughlin, sorry. Seconded by member Russo, roll call. Uh, member Graham? Yes. Gretz? Yes. McLaughlin? Yes. Stone? Yes. Russo? Yes. Van, um, yeah, Vanderclute, yes. Mayor? Yes, seven the uh, affirmative, zero negative, meeting is adjourned. Thank you. I just you wanted for to point out to everybody, excuse me one second. I just wanted to point out to everybody, Mayor, that we have been on Zoom for six hours, which is the average day for our students every single day, Monday through Friday. So I would like us all to just take a moment and think about that because that's every day our students are dealing with us. So thank you. Absolutely. Night. Thank you.